This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Jesus, after the disciples, uh, after he had appeared to the disciples and, and breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, uh, we see the evidence in their lives of a change. In other words, they were born again. Jesus then told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, but wait for the promise of the Spirit before they go. He said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you'll receive power after you, uh, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you shall be witnesses. So they had received the Great Commission, but Jesus said, now you're going to need equipment to, to perform and uh, to complete that Great Commission. And that equipment is the baptism or the power of the Holy Ghost. So they're all gathered together. And then the, in the Acts chapter 2, it tells us that um, the Holy Ghost is poured out. Um, they begin to speak in other tongues. It spills out into the streets. The crowd comes together and Peter preaches to them and says, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It was said upon my uh, servants and handmaids, I'll pour out my spirit and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Uh, that's a part of the prophecy, and we looked at that, looked at uh, Joel's prophecy in uh, uh, in its entirety, talking about the time or the the dispensation of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the work, the days where the Holy Ghost would work. And uh, three thousand people got saved as a result of uh, the preaching on that day. In Acts chapter two, it tells us what happened following that. It says uh, in verse forty-two, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. We can summarize this in three things. They walked in love toward one another. They continued in the teaching of the, of the disciples. The teaching of the Holy Ghost is given to the apostles. And they continued in prayer. And it said, And fear came upon every soul, verse 43, And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now it tells us again in chapter 3 where the, the man at the beautiful gate was healed. Uh, 5,000 people get saved as a result of Peter preaching about the name of Jesus and Jesus being crucified. And it was his power that uh, caused this uh, crippled man that everybody knew. He was laid daily and so everybody was acquainted with him. And uh, G- uh, Peter preached that it was the power in the name of Jesus that caused this man to be healed. They're brought, Peter and John are brought before the, uh, the Jewish council. And uh, they're questioned and, and uh, um, uh have to give an answer for what they did and how they did it and they tell the council about it the name of jesus the fact that he's raised from the dead and uh, and so forth and so the the council the jews don't like that too much and so they threaten them not to preach or teach anymore in the name of jesus and in acts chapter 4 it says in verse 24 and when they heard that they were let go and uh, related to their own company what the chief priests and elders had said and when they the crowd heard that they lifted up their voice to god with one accord that means they're all praying together. In other words, nobody is leading them in this prayer. This is not a prayer that's written out. They're all reciting one after another. This is them praying together in the Holy Ghost. It's the only way it could work. Them praying together in the Holy Ghost or in the Spirit, in other tongues. And here's the Holy Ghost giving us the interpretation of what they pray. And it, uh, we'll skip down in the middle of it. Verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and the signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. Now, folks, I want you to get this. The Bible says when we speak in an unknown tongue or pray in other tongues, it says we're praying the perfect will of the Father. Notice what the Holy Ghost gives us record of is his will to pray. To pray for the moving of the Holy Ghost, specifically healing miracles. They've already received him, but they're praying for the Holy Ghost to move. 
Well, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. What kind of power is that talking about? Chapter 5, verse 12, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. We know that's the will of God, don't we? Then it says, in so much, and notice it says, in so much, not and. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, in so much. In other words, there's a connection between believers being added to the Lord and what he's going to tell us in verse 15. In so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Now, folks, what I want to get across to you and what we've been teaching over the last number of weeks on this is when the Holy Ghost has control of the church, and when I say has control of the church, I mean specifically has control of their prayer life. The sick are healed in the streets. Now, this record has to be given to us for a reason. I mean, if God's just sitting it there saying, well, this is what it used to be like, but it can't be like that for you, that's cruel. It's got to be a reason for why it's there. It's got to be a reason for the, the details that are given to us about what are brought what brought about the operation of the power of the Holy Ghost. It's got to be there for a reason. We also looked at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, beginning in about verse 13, it says, Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over them, the sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, that's the part most everybody focuses on. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. But then verse 16 is also attached to that. Confess your faults one to another. In other words, walk in love. Don't let any unforgiveness get in the church. Confess your faults one for another and pray one for another that you may be healed. See, verse 14 won't work without verse 16. Well, verse 15 won't work without verse 16. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. That only works when the church is praying for healing. See, we've made it about who's got a great anointing. Who's going to be God's showman? Who's going to be the person that God uses as some kind of sign or wonder to the rest of the body of Christ to show he's got the power? Folks, the power is in you. The power is in the body of Christ as a whole. Confess your faults one for another and pray you one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then in verse 17 of James chapter 5, it gives us an example of what kind of prayer the Holy Ghost is talking about praying. It gives us the example of Elijah praying for the rain, which is the Old Testament example of the moving of the Holy Ghost. That cannot be coincidental. In other words, he's saying to the degree that we pray for the moving of the Holy Ghost and pray for the healing of the sick, that's when, he, when and how healing will flow in the church. Now, I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. With that in mind, let's learn some lessons from Corinth. See, the idea is 
the better the church gets, the more we learn to live above sin and, and put away the things of the flesh and stuff like that, then that's what makes the Holy Ghost move. And that's not true with Corinth. Notice in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, so that you come behind in no good gift. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. He used to say that has to mean that they had all the manifestations of the Spirit in operation. Because it's to this church in chapter 12 that Paul's going to write, here's how the Holy Ghost manifests. But now let's examine the church. He tells them in chapter 3 that they're carnal Christians. So being spiritually mature is not the criteria for the Holy Ghost to move. Can't be. If so, the Holy Ghost Ghost wouldn't have been moving among them. He says that there's divisions among them. The church at, uh, at Corinth is interesting to me because it's the only church that we don't know for certain that Paul started that it lasted past one generation. Now, it may have. There's a church in Corinth now, and it may have, but we do not have a continuous record like we do of every other church that Paul started regarding Corinth. He said there were carnal. He said there were divisions among them. And then in chapter 5, he says, man, there's sin among you that's worse than the sin of the Gentiles, the unsaved. Where the, father was living with it, where the son was living with his father's wife. So it's not the absence of sin that caused the Holy Ghost to move among them, is it? Well, what about doctrine? Maybe they were real strong on doctrine. Well, look with me over to chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you how strong their doctrine was. Paul said, we'll start reading, we'll take some of this out of context. Paul said in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Now, the word unworthily is an unworthy manner. It doesn't mean unworthy. You're made worthy by the blood of Jesus. So he's talking about the communion and the partaking of communion. He's saying if you don't have the right attitude toward communion when you take it, then you shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Well, I don't want that, do you? I wouldn't think that they would want that. But then Paul's going to describe a little further what they're doing and why. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, unworthy manner, they're, already, they're saved, so they're already made worthy by the blood of Jesus, but they have the wrong attitude toward what they're doing. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation. This is not go to hell damnation, it's condemnation guilt unto himself not discerning the lord's body not discerning the lord's body now he's just identified in the previous verses one thing that they're doing not discerning the lord's body they're not partaking of the thing with the other guy in mind some of them are taking the lord's supper and acting like it's dinner and so they're eating as much as they want to eat and other people aren't don't have the opportunity to participate because all the stuff's gone by the time they get to the table So they're not looking out for one another. But then he talks about not discerning the Lord's body in a different context too. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation, condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. One translation says many die prematurely. Now here's an interesting thought. If 1 Corinthians 1, 7 is true, where they've got the moving of the Holy Ghost. They don't come behind in any good gift. They've got the moving of the Holy Ghost in full manifestation. Chapter 12 is going to tell us that full manifestation of the Holy Ghost is going to include gifts of healings. So they've got gifts of healings in their midst, yet they're not discerning 
are appreciating the fact that the body and the blood of the Lord means Jesus shed his blood and took stripes upon his back for the healing of the physical body. Doesn't sound like too strong a doctrine to me. You got the Holy Ghost doing miracles in your midst. You got the Holy Ghost operating in gifts of healings in your midst. And you're not too strong on Jesus having taken your infirmities and borne your sicknesses. Don't tell me it's doctrine that made him eligible for the move of the Holy Ghost. It's not. Well, what is it about this group? What are we to learn from the church at Corinth? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I mean, let's face it. If these things just happen, and many times people say, that these things just happen at the will of God and we don't have any control over it. Well, folks, let's examine when this is. This letter is written from the, from the city of Ephesus on Paul's third missionary journey in 55 AD. It's 20-plus years after the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts chapter 2. This is not part of the same move of God that was taking place in Jerusalem. There's not a move of God taking place everywhere. 20 years later, they have created their own move of God in their own church. This is five years after Paul established the church. He established the church on his second missionary journey five years earlier. Now he's writing back to the church five years later, 22-ish or so years, 20-plus years, after the Holy Ghost is born, poured out or the church is born. They've created their own move of God. How? Not through right living. Not through sexual purity. Not through unity in the body. How have they done it? See, folks, if this church, if there's any church that the American church ought to be able to use as a flag to say, Lord, we're sin as much as them. Lord, we're just as divided as they are. You ought to be able to move through us too. Now, now granted, that shouldn't be our, our marks of credibility, but it does fit. What is it about this group that enabled them to have a move of the Holy Ghost? If we can figure it out for them, we can figure it out for us. Can't we? See, you start talking about the move of the Holy Ghost and God starts working on people's hearts and people get scared. They get scared first and foremost about what am I going to have to do to change? That's when you start examining yourself and you figure out, well, there are things that I'm doing wrong that I don't want to really quit doing. 
And if it's going to take giving up all these things and the things of the world and the things of the flesh and comforts and so forth, if that's what it takes, which is what everybody says means when you serve God or follow after Him with all your heart, a lot of people aren't into that. A lot of people would rather go to church, let other people do the work, take advantage of whatever there is and just live their lives. Now, I don't know what you would call that if not lukewarm. God has a real dim view. We looked over in Revelation chapter 3. God has a real dim view of people that take that attitude. And folks, I'm not saying that because you have that attitude, God doesn't love you because he does. I'm not saying because you have that attitude, you don't love God because I believe you do. I love God. Just as much then, at least in my own opinion, I loved God just as much then as I loved him now. But there were things in other parts and other times of my life that I didn't want to give up. Well, why is that? Because it's just a function of the flesh. It's just a function of the flesh. I cannot tell you how many times people come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I watch your TV show, watch it every week or record it, whatever. Watch a TV show every week. He said, I've been meaning to come to your church, but Sunday is the only day I can sleep in. Well, thanks for watching. It's not up to me. I'm not the one that judges. I didn't put the TV show on so that everybody that watched it would be compelled to come. If people want to come, they're certainly welcome. We want them to. Because I think there are things you can get from church that you can't get from the TV show. But that's not up to me or anybody else to judge. That's for us to judge for ourselves. And that's the very issue that Paul presents to the Corinthian church. You're going to have to judge yourselves. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do. Now, what is the problem in Paul's writings? And I'm I'm taking for granted that you know something about the book, the letter that he wrote. What is Paul's issue with the Corinthian church? Twofold. He wants them to grow up through the knowledge of the word. And secondly, he wants to bring order to their services. The problem with the Corinthian church that Paul corrects or addresses is unity or walking in love and order. Those are his issues. How does he do that? Well, let's start in chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice that he's identifying that even though you've got the Holy Ghost in full manifestation, you're ignorant. So it's not knowledge that makes the Holy Ghost move. Can't be. Can it? Now, the word spiritual means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So everything he's talking about for the next, four, the next three chapters are things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. What's the first thing he does? He tells how the Holy Ghost moves. He says, this is how the Holy Ghost manifests. First of all, the word of wisdom the word of knowledge and discerning of spirits or what we call revelation gifts. Secondly, he manifests himself through special faith, gifts of healings and working of miracles or what we call power gifts. Thirdly, he manifests himself through diversities of tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy or what we call vocal gifts. Now, why would Paul tell the church this is how the Holy Ghost moves? Because clearly they're having things operate and and take place in their midst that because of their lack of knowledge about how the Holy Ghost moves and what the Holy Ghost does when he moves, they're having all kinds of things happen that they think is God and it's not. 
That's why he starts off in the second and the third verses talking about when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation, this is what he does. He magnifies Jesus. And anybody that's magnifying Jesus when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation is doing so by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. What does that tell us? That tells us that there are things that are taking place in and among them that are not magnifying Jesus, that Paul is very simply saying, that's not the Holy Ghost. Now, what keeps them from knowing that on their own? Well, it's a lack of knowledge. They're not operating in right doctrine. Now, here's a question I've got that nobody can answer for me. I'll have to wait till I get to heaven on this. Did Paul teach them these things before and they just lost them? Or did he not teach them when he was there? If he didn't teach them when he was there, how in the world did these people get to move in the Holy Ghost like they did? Like I said, I'm not looking for you to answer that for me. I'll get the answer when I get to heaven. But it's things like this that make me scratch my head and say, there's only one possible conclusion that we can draw from this, and that is God will overcome our ignorance. He'll overcome our lack of holiness or holy lifestyle. He'll overcome almost anything and everything there is for the Holy Ghost to move because this is the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. See, what I'm trying to get across to you folks is the Bible teaches us. I don't care about what your experience is, but the Bible teaches us that getting God to move is not a hard thing. Yet it seems to be the big mystery for all of us. Well, there is a secret to it. And that's a secret that most of the church hadn't tapped into. So what's the deal here? Paul identifies first and foremost, here's how the Holy Ghost moves. Now, these are all things pertaining to the Holy Ghost. Notice what he says in verse 11, but all these worketh, meaning all of the nine manifestations that we just identified, revelation gifts, power gifts, and vocal gifts, all these worketh that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man, everybody say every, that doesn't mean part of them, that means every man, that means God intends to use everybody. He won't use everybody in the same way, but he intends to use everybody. Why? Because this is the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. That's what Peter's preaching in Acts 2. This is that which was spoken by Joel, the prophet. But all these worketh that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally. Severally means more than one. It also means specifically. As he wills. For things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. And he talks about how the, the church is supposed to work together like a body. Body has an eye, it has a hand, it has a foot. You can't interchange parts. One part can't say to the other part, I'm more important than you, or you're more important than me. Now, why in the world would Paul, by the Holy Ghost, think about this. This is the Holy Ghost telling us things concerning him. Through Paul. Here's the Holy Ghost describing himself, how he works and, and, and the function and so forth. This is the Holy Ghost telling you specifically, here's how I work. Now, what could be more important for us to know in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost? The period of time when the Holy Ghost works, other than the Holy Ghost giving us a firsthand account, here's how I operate. Now, you know as well as I do that this is a chapter that the church fights over. Isn't that coincidental? 
Because the devil knows if he can get the church fighting over the, the, the instruction that the Holy Ghost gave about how he works, he can hinder the Holy Ghost from working in the dispensation that the Holy Ghost is given to work. Well, if we've got a church who was instructed by Jesus to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to, in order to reach the world, trying to reach the world without the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, what have we got? The modern-day church. Powerless, weak, without influence. But important enough that the devil knows he has to shut us down. Important enough that the devil knows in our own country that we better stir up some persecution against the church. Why? Because if they ever wake up, his goose is cooked. And folks, that's exactly what's going on around us. So the Holy Ghost is telling us, here's how I operate. I'll manifest myself in one of these nine ways, revelation gifts, vocal gifts, and power gifts. But then the church works together like a body. Everybody's supposed to have a part. Now, folks, let me ask you a question, and it's a rhetorical question. What's supposed to be your part? The Bible says specifically you have a part. If you don't know your part, how can you operate effectively? And that's the point Paul makes. He says every part of the body has to work together in order for it to work properly. What's your part? The Bible's clear on saying you have one. What is your part? I would submit to you folks that the vast majority of the church has no idea that they're even supposed to be a part, which again is another example why the church is so powerless in the modern day, in my opinion. So Paul says, here's how the, or the Holy Ghost says through Paul, here's how the body works. Everybody is supposed to have a function. Everybody is supposed to have a part. Everybody has an equal part, although it may not be looked at as equal. In God's eyes, one part is just as important as the other part. For what purpose? Verse 25. In my opinion, verse 25 is the key to the whole thing. Here's the purpose for the Holy Ghost functioning. We know how he functions. He functions by one of the nine manifestations identified earlier in the chapter. It tells us that the body works together and everybody's supposed to have a part in order for things to work properly. What is the purpose, verse 25, that there should be no schism or lack or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one to another? What is Paul telling a church that's divided? He's telling, telling them very specifically, you need to know things about the Holy Ghost. First of all, the Holy Ghost will manifest himself in specific ways, these nine specific ways, not any and every other way that, he might, that you think he's doing now, but in these nine specific ways. Secondly, everybody's supposed to work together so that nobody's missing out on anything in the body. In other words, the moving of the Holy Ghost is not supposed to be about you and how God's using you. The moving of the Holy Ghost is supposed to be with the attitude that Lord moves so that the other guy is blessed and helped. It's talking about changing their attitude toward one another. It's talking about walking in love. That's further identified by chapter 13 being all about love. He said, I'm showing you a more excellent way. These are the ministry gifts. The end of chapter 12. These are the, the ministry gifts, the ones God set in the, sets in the church. But let me show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way is to walk in love. Don't seek after your own. Don't take into account of the evil done unto you and so forth. What is he talking about? He's talking about things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost.
God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but wait till you receive the power of the Spirit first. He'll empower you to be witnesses. God still wants His people to be witnesses. He still wants the power of the Holy Ghost to demonstrate that we are witnesses of the truth of Jesus' resurrection that we're preaching. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.